Cool. Let's get rolling. Yeah. All right. I'm here with Rich Moses, the head coach at, at Highland Park. Um, we, were, we were just talking before we got started, and I told him I, I had very high expectations for this call. I was hoping by the time we got done with this call, he would hans- answer all of life's mysteries. So, uh, so I hope you're ready for that challenge. I am, I am ready, but as I said to you, I think you're going to be shocked by the simplicity of it all. <laughs> so, well, I want to set the stage a little bit before we start talking, and, and, and you know, the, the format's going to be kind of the normal, hey, I'd love to talk to you about figure out how you got into lacrosse, and maybe everything up to when you started with, with Highland Park, and then your, your career at Highland Park, and then really drill into that. And, and the reason that you're interesting to me is at one point, I had pulled all of the, the state playoff data, all the results for all the state playoffs for D1 and two, D2 historically. And I was looking at public school, private school, right? You know, right. What, what, what locations, regions, kind of what panned out. And, and the one thing that just screams out at you, right, is the success that Highland Park has had. Um, and it's not you know, limited to recent or one period, it's like consistent long-term success. Right. And, right. you know, in, in my brain, I, I immediately start thinking, okay, well, what, what are these guys doing different than everybody else? Right. Because everybody else, especially on the public school side, right. They cycle, they have a couple good years, they have three bad years, right. They, they, they just kind of cycle up and down and y'all are just so consistently good. I, I want to know what the secret sauce is. Right. So that's that's the premise for this whole discussion, man. And don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, that's, don't that's, disappoint me. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best not to, but uh, so I can't make I can't make any promises. And 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 you know, coach, this is a this is a good time to be having this discussion because this is actually the 25th year anniversary of of Highland Park Lacrosse. Is it really? Yeah, which is which got me thinking. You know, a little bit before we got on uh, we got on this call about how long I've been around in the game, um, frankly, how long I've been involved with Highland Park lacrosse and the percentage of the time that Highland Park has been around that, that I've been involved with it. Um, it, it just kind of put things into a little better context for me. Um, so, yeah, just fire away with questions. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, that's cool that it's the 25th. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, that just in my brain, you know, makes my, my question – what are you doing differently? Even more important, right? Because when you realize it's quote only twenty five years, right, and and the success you've had over that twenty five years just just blows me away, man. Blows me away. So yeah, let's um, you know kind of the normal routine, right? Let's let's hear about you and maybe everything leading up to Highland Park. I'm always interested to hear, you know, how people got involved in the game, whether it was a brother or a family member, how where and how you grew up playing, right, and. And maybe take us all the way to the point where you, you landed Highland Park. Sure. So I, I grew up in uh, Malvern, Long Island, the south shore of, of Long Island. And I like to say the wrong side of the tracks from, from Garden City. Um, and growing up, I was, you know, I was the usual young guy. I played, uh, I played baseball. I played basketball. Maybe I was a little early to the soccer thing. Um, and, you know, we're, I'm talking about sort of late 70s at, at, at this point in time. Um, and some of my friends in Malvern were, were playing Pop Warner football, and I wanted to play football. And my dad said, absolutely not. He had, uh, was a little bit ahead of his time at that right. point. He'd seen some buddies get torn up knees and 
different things going on. So he said, absolutely not. But you know, he was a lower East side Manhattan guy. Um, so on, on my soccer team, I had, um, two young men named Peter and Paul Schwaznick, who I think both one ended up at Syracuse and one, I, I believe ended up at, at Maryland playing lacrosse. But my mom was talking to their, their mom and talked about the football thing. And, and, uh, Mr. Schwaznick said, well, they should come out to play lacrosse. And this was in, Sixth grade, I believe. So I went out and played for the Limbrook Titans, um, and I've had a I've had a very interesting lacrosse career in that I've I've played with some fantastic athletes and some real stars of the game. Um, and on my sixth grade team, I had uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade teams. I had Quinn Kessenick on as my as my goalie. Really, uh, that's awesome. Which is which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. And another young man named Scott Hiller, who ended up being a world team player uh, and a, a legend at uh, at UMass. So um, yeah, I was exposed to some kids who could really play the game at a, at a, at a high level. At a, and I was exposed at a very very early age, which was great. And uh, the the funny thing about lacrosse is my dad, as I said, um, just a. a, a Superhuman being, but anyway, grew up on the Lower East Side and had no idea what lacrosse was. And he comes to our first game, and I'm playing midfield my first year, and I just get absolutely laid out by some dude because I barely know what I'm doing. It's literally my first game. I just get hammered, and he turns to my mom and he's like, "My mom's name is Mimi. Mimi, what have you gotten these boys into?" <laughs> But, you know, I have a twin brother, Mike, and we were playing. We were two, you know, kind of aggressive, rough-and-tumble sort of, um, you know, blue-collar-ish type, type guys. And we loved the game, and we loved the physicality of it. We loved the speed of it. Um, you know, we had we just had some great teams. And then, you know, going on from there. Well, and, and just real quick, at, yes. at, at that young age, with some of the cast of characters that you just mentioned, I always like to, to find out from folks – what role kind of unorganized lacrosse had, right? So, you know, you're, you're playing maybe school sponsored or in a league, but you know, did, did you, did you guys have enough kids and enough boys in the neighborhood, enough density in the neighborhood that y'all were just to go able to go play pickup games? I mean, was there, was there a role there for that? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. I, I grew up in Malvern and Malvern did not have a lacrosse team. Um, so I went to play for Limbrook. And Limbrook had a, you know, they, they'd had a program for, for quite some time. I'm not quite sure how long uh, they, they were in existence before I got involved. But uh, my coach, um, uh, Billy, and I'm, I'm, his last name is escaping me right now, he's a, but I do remember he's a volunteer fireman. But he had played you know, at, in through college. He went to Adelphi. So you know, I was in sixth or seventh grade, and he had graduated college and was doing his thing as a, as a fireman. So the program had been in existence for at least 15-odd years before before that. Um, but that being said, to, to be more directly answer your question, I didn't really have the, the ability to get a pickup game very close to my home. What I did have was a twin brother who was, was a, a very good athlete as well. So we would literally play one-on-one in the backyard and this kind of speaks to some of the Jamie Monroe type yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's play pickup games. And I had, we picked up sticks, little Brian super light twos. Um, our first six, we didn't even know what lacrosse goals looked like. And this, this is actually kind of funny. You know, having this conversation, you know, sparks some memories. We, the old, the first time I ever saw a lacrosse goal 
it was laying face down. So all I saw was the triangle. So my brother and I made a makeshift goal, and it was a triangle. That's what. That's so. That's really. What we, so y'all yeah. were at home playing one on one with a triangle goal. With a little, like almost like the, <laughs> the equivalent of a of a three by, but it was a triangle, and it was literally only three feet high because those you know we found some scraps of wood in the basement or whatever we did, and that that's that's what we did, yeah, and and we yeah, and that's how we learned, and it was it's a, yeah, it's so I, I need to have that conversation with Jamie Monroe because he'll, he'll get a kick out of it, he'll, he'll love it. Yeah, that's tremendous. So that was it. So that was it. So we we loved it. We. Um, we subsequently stopped playing baseball and folks started focusing on lacrosse. And um, my mom had some foresight. Malvern High School, the public school, did not have a lacrosse team. So uh, we applied to St. Mary's in Manhasset. And again, and um, you know, again, it was one of those things where lacrosse on Long Island was, was at such a good level. You know, Scotty Hiller, uh, you know, future world team guy, he was there for my first year. But then going forward, uh, my goalkeeper was Paul Schmoller, who was a world team guy, um, ended up at Cornell and broke all sorts of records. And unfortunately, he, he um, we lost Paul uh, about five years ago now to, to cancer. Uh, but he was uh, he was a legend in the game. And the other you know, household name that, that a lot of people will know is Dave Petromala. And Dave Petro, Petro and I were co-captains our uh, junior and senior year of high school and, and good friends and remain good friends today. So you know, I had at one point in time, our freshman JV team had three world team players, a future world team players on it. And, and Scotty Hiller, Paul Schmoller and, and Dave Petromalo. So we, um, you know, that we, we just had a great time with it. And you know, we, we played the best of the best and we loved it. We had, we won, um, my sophomore year, we won, uh, a Catholic high school uh, championship, Long Island, or I guess statewide Catholic high school championship. And then my senior year, we, we won it again in beating uh, St. Anthony's that year. And uh, my senior year, we beat St. Anthony's. My sophomore year, we had beaten Chaminade. Um, so it was it was a really cool time in, in my life. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And then next up was college. So when... Next- when in when in your high school career did you realize that you wanted to you wanted to and had the ability to play at the next level? Did, did you know pretty early, or was that were you a late bloomer, or where did, where did... I, I was a late bloomer? I you know I I was a young guy. I was um, a late May birthday, and you know this was this was back before the uh, the, the time of the of, of of the tipping point when everybody was looking at what Canada does and holding kids back and all that stuff, but. Um, so I was a late bloomer. So yeah, my sophomore year it was interesting. I had a twin brother who went through puberty like a year before I did. So he was like a stud as a sophomore, and I was this guy at the end of the bench. Um, but then you know I, I had a good growth spurt in junior year. Um, I, I kind of blossomed and started scoring a bunch of goals and got some recognition. And um, you know we uh, at that point it, you know coaches started talking about it a little bit. You go to we used to go to Richie Moran's camp up at Cornell. Uh, we went to an army, the army camp one year. We went to the university of Maryland camp one year, and then you started getting some recognition and those were cool camps. Uh, it, it wasn't anything like it is now with the, with the select 
programs and and these guys that are just playing games upon games upon games these were camps that were run by the coaches and you did a lot of drill work and you did a lot of a lot of 3v3 4v4 and then at night you'd, you'd scrimmage and it was awesome and then you'd get pulled aside by a coach and they'd say hey by the way what do you think about cornell and i said hey i really like cornell this place is awesome you know or, or in maryland you know one, one of those things you know you get coaches like Richie Moran or, uh, or or Jack Emmer at Army or whoever it was, and then it was just pretty cool. It was how, just pretty. How did that exposure to those coaches through those camps? I mean, has that <clears throat> excuse me has that impacted how you coach? I mean, did did you learn things as a coach that they did there that you carry forward now and use? Yeah, you know, it, it, yes, absolutely. It's it's you know, a lot of people say you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, but you know, a lot of times it's the exact opposite. We you don't. Mm-hmm you know, but you don't know until you know, and you, and it reminds you and, and like, you know, things you learn from literally Richie Moran at, uh, at the Cornell camp, you still remember, or, um, uh, you know, some, some of the players that, that stood out back then, um, gosh, uh, Eddie, Eddie Cook and Kevin Cook, you know, these were kind of legendary guys who were maybe five, six years older, but playing at, at Cornell or some of the names at Maryland. Um, and they're teaching you these things, or, or a guy like Vinny Sombrato, who had a younger brother who played with me, like you know, basically teaching you how to dodge from X and dodging angles. And, and you don't remember it until you start coaching it. And then in the back of your mind, like, yeah, now I remember Vinny telling me how to do that. You know, it's kind of so it's kind of cool. Yeah, you know, sometimes I make my guys run stairs at Highlander Stadium. I'm like, yeah, I remember Richie Moran showed me that I had to do that. That's, you know, that's, <laughs> the great part is you're able to invoke his name and add some credibility to it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need to start saying, all right, like, all right, boys, it's, uh, it's Richie Moran time. Go hit the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. So, yeah, it was uh, so probably my junior year is when I, I started understanding that um, – college across might might be an option for me so and, was, uh, you, you mentioned your brother was pretty athletic right did, did he go off and play college as well we, did. We, we we both ended up at at hobart college unfortunately my brother had a uh had a pretty serious back injury although we you know again we didn't really know it but it really affected the way he could move and he was just in pain so he unfortunately he he couldn't play in college but he was still there and cheering us on and at, at Hobart like lacrosse was like the thing so it was uh, it, it was cool he, he was around but uh, you know he unfortunately he, he couldn't couldn't play he was a heck of an athlete it was an unfortunate circumstance so how, how did you land at Hobart so um, gosh it, recruiting back then was was so different than it is now um, the, the first exposure I had to, you know, really actively being recruited was Dom Starja at, at Brown. And it's funny. And again, like, you know, kids don't really read newspapers now, but back then that's how recruiting got done. Um, so Dom Starja grew up in Valley Stream. And I'm sorry, I'm getting away from the Hobart thing. No, Dom no, Starja, go ahead. Dom Starja grew up in Valley Stream, which was one town over. His dad still lived there, so his dad would read Newsday every day and look at the box scores, and that's how Dom Starja saw my my name and my brother's name and 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 recruited us. Um, and I, and I, I you know it's, it's funny like I remember meeting Dave Yurick the first time he came, he showed up at um, and I knew he was coming. He called my high school and 
want to sit down in a room with myself, my brother, and and uh, and Petro. And Petro was already, you know, we everybody knew he was going to Johns Hopkins, and so he was just kind of there for just to be there. And uh, yeah, and you know, Coach Yurik gave the gave the story about Hobart College, and um, you know, all the things that they had accomplished, and, and what kind of institution it was, and. Uh, yeah, he was just a, a, a great human being, and you just kind of tell right off the bat what what kind of person he was. So uh, we followed up, and um, you know that that was it. I, I probably did three or four visits. I went to Cornell, I went to Brown, I went to Villanova, I went to Penn State, um, and then had my last visit at, at Hobart and fell in love with it, and fell in love with the guys there, and um, it was just wait and see on the application. And that was it. The rest is the rest is history, as as they say. I enjoyed the uh, the Dom Starger recruiting story because I there's, yeah. there's so many things in that story that kids nowadays probably can't even relate to, right? No, 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 no doubt at all. Like, and I'll say to I'll say to kids like you know whatever you know whether they're doing something that's not fundamentally the right play, like yeah, that looks cool, but I think getting your name in the newspaper looks even cooler. And they kind of look at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, which is even funny because I'll say things like, man, you go across the crease, you cut across the middle like that. You, someone's going to lay you out. And you're going to be spitting chicklets. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? No, no idea, right? No idea. So I'm going to. Dating I'm, yourself. Excellent. These guys, I don't even know what the new, new cut types of gum are, but I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> so what, speak a little more detail to your career at, at Hobart. What kind of success did you have? Who were some of the coaches maybe that you bumped into while you were at Hobart and what were their sure, influences on sure. you? Sure. So Hobart, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, I got there and, um, there's a tryout situation for all incoming players. Now I'm sure some of them, um, you know, you, you knew the kid was going to be on the team, but the vast majority of kids, you didn't know if you were going to be on the team or not. So they threw you, you know, it was like a gauntlet. It, we practiced inside of Bristol gym, which is no bigger than a, uh, than any heist local high school gym that you, that you would come across. Um, and they just, they just threw it out there. Like, go play. Let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. One V ones, two V twos, six V five scramble drills, um, and you know, I, it's one of those, one of those things I, I crushed it. I, I'm not going to be shy about it. I had a fantastic tryout. So, so good that, you know, guys, my peers, uh, a good friend of mine, Mark Virgil, we go up to see the list that's posted, um, outside of coach Yurik's office. And he gets there just a second before myself. He sees his name and he turns around to me and he, my nickname was Dickie Mo. He goes, Dickie, you know, we're absolutely so psyched we made it. And I look and my name's not on the list. And it was one of those moments like, what just happened? He, you know, and, and a lot of guys were like, what just occurred? And honestly, you know, this was one of the best life lessons I've ever gotten in my life. You know, I, I took the 24 hours and then went in and talked to Coach Yurik and you know, and Coach uh, Van Arsdale, excuse me, Coach O'Hara at the time. And um, you know, what happened? You had a great tryout, but right now you're you're not fitting the system. You're not the guy we need. We need you to be more of a distributor 
you got to be more of a glue type, of a glue type guy. Um, these are the things we need you to do. And you know, and my version, my version of killing it was taking the ball to the rack and scoring ninety percent of the time. I did it. Now they at the time had a guy named Ray Gilliam, who was one of the best lacrosse players I've ever come across in my life, and that's what he did. So they didn't need another one of those. They needed a guy that could figure out how to get the ball to that guy. Um, and Ray, I believe, was a sophomore at the time. Yeah, he was a sophomore at the time. So, um, yeah, that, that was it. That was like, okay, look, you got to know and, and accept your role. And that was a challenge to me. Like, can, can I be that guy? Can I totally change my game? Because in high school, the job, you know, my brother and I were, were the guys, like, get the balls to Mike or Rich Moses and let them go to work. Uh, but when I got to college, I had to totally change my game and become the guy that got the ball to, to Ray Gilliam or Tommy Gravanti or um, another phenomenal name, Billy Miller, uh, another world team U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame guy was was one of my uh, one of my teammates and then still a dear friend. So you know, it was literally how do I get the ball to that guy? Like I that that's what I had to learn. And it was either it was sink or swim. It was either do it or don't. You know and and I did it, and I had a lot of success at it. And you know, my sophomore year was was more of a learning period. But then my junior year, I was getting a bunch of time and getting some really valuable minutes. And then my senior year, I was a starter. I was the third leading scorer on the team, highest shooting percentage of the team. You know, all 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 stuff I'm ver- I'm very very proud of. But I wasn't the guy, and it was it was. It, it took some time for me not to, to, to learn how to not be the guy, it, but it took me, you know, a solid year and a half of, of grinding it out, doing what I had to do. Man, that's you know the the, the, <clears throat> the part of that story that sticks with me, and I have this discussion a lot locally here with coaches is here in you know with, with public school clubs in Texas and with THSLL, right? We so often measure success by just body count, right? Right. Right. Oh, we got 40 boys. We got 50 boys. Mm-hmm. All right. That's fairly meaningless. And what was great about that story is you're at Hobart. You're, you're in college. You're, you and your teammates have been recruited, right, to come to college to play lacrosse. Right. And they posted a list yeah. <laughs> of, of who made the team, right? Right. That's right. phenomenal. It was crazy. It was crazy. I had no idea, no idea that was coming. I just figured – I got recruited, you know, that's, that's it. And, and, you know, some of the advice you get, and, and I'll never forget this. And I tell the kids, I, I tell that story to, to a lot of people and I'm, I'm proud of it. You know, a lot of people think, well, you didn't make the team your freshman year. Is that something to be ashamed? I'm like, hell no, that's, that's one of my greatest accomplishments that I, I there are a lot of kids that didn't make that team that just walked away. Right. Right. Which, you hung, you hung around. It, it would have been a failure. It would have been a failure if you if you had stopped there, right? If I had stopped there, you're like, who, who, who? yeah, that would, that would have been an absolute fail. So, and I, I get Coach Yurik, I'll never forget this. Um, you know, I think it was probably our first practice. <clears throat> excuse me, um, after the teams had been named, after the team had been named, and he said, "All right, all you you young rookies, you know, the, that was the easy part. You made the team. That was the easy part. Now the hard work starts." And we practice hard, and it was it was it was hard. And guys, yeah, the the, the captains and and the upperclassmen and the the, the guys are year above you. They pushed you, and they did not accept 
anything less than 100%. So much and so, and we had a guy, and I'm not going to say his name, but his nickname was 5100. It's one of the best, best nicknames I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> 5100. And you know, why do, why do we call him 5100? Because he gave 50%, 100% of the time. <laughs> it's one of the best nicknames ever. That's a great nickname. <laughs> great. And that, that's the value of a Hobart College liberal, art, liberal arts education. <laughs> Fantastic nicknames. <laughs> I still pride myself on, on nicknames. So, so did that experience your freshman year? I mean, uh, it's, you, know, you obviously thought enough about that story to, to tell it, and it sounds like you've told it and used it with your boys, right? Sure, sure. I mean, how, how much did that color how you coach now? Yeah, to to a, a, a pretty good extent because we've you know we've got guys that you know as you know Highland Park we've got a, a, a D one a D two and a JV team so you know we get a, got a lot of guys on that D two team that think they're the guy but they're just not ready it's and and what you have to understand and the important thing about it is what I took away from that it wasn't that I wasn't good enough I was good enough I just wasn't ready. So I just wasn't ready. If, if, if he took me, it probably would have been a wasted year. So they, they basically had the equivalent of a, of a JV team. And I played on that JV team, and I did exactly what they wanted me to do. So I use it as a, as a, as a, a kind of a method of teaching how to be coachable if, if I have to. I'll tell kids that. I'll tell parents that. And it resonates with, like, wow, I Okay, he's actually speaking from experience. He can actually right. empathize with this situation, you know. And, I, and I'm very, very um, uh, intentional about it. So, you know, we had Hobart had a lot of success. We won ten straight championships. So people always ask me, "Do you have four rings?" I say, "No, I've got three. I didn't make the team my freshman year." And there are probably a lot of people out there that, with my situation, and it's it's. Yeah, you're involved in the program, so you probably can say, "Yeah, I've got, yeah, I played on four national championships teams," because you know maybe you got moved up a game or whatever. But no, to me, I, I'm very sensitive to the fact that I didn't, and I and I use it as a as a motivation for myself. Don't get comfortable being comfortable. Like, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, and that first year for me was uh, was an uncomfortable year for you know a lot of reasons your, your first year away from home um, you go to a storied lacrosse program and, and you're a heavily recruited kid out of Long Island and you don't make the team like, that's just uncomfortable for a young guy but I, I I just embraced it and did the work and I just did the work yeah it's something I'm very very proud of it well, yeah, and, and the great thing too is I bet you know, not only is it is it context and, and and the boys and the parents find you relatable because you had that experience, right? Right. But I also, I'm willing to bet, and you, you correct me here, when you run across a boy who faces that adversity, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's the kid that just kind of hunkers down, yeah. right, and works and, and does it. what's necessary, right? You well, probably identify that and appreciate that, right? Oh, no, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, yeah, as coaches, and, and I'm, you know, and coach listeners, you, you know, there's always that fear of either real or, or perceived where a parents will either think or actually accuse you of playing favorites. And 
And I, I say absolutely, I play favorites. Like the guys that do exactly what you're just talking about. That just, I don't care if they're a starter, a second string guy, or third string guy. If the kid shows up and comes ready to do the work and doesn't complain about anything, yeah, that guy's my favorite. And I've got multiple guys that were not starters that barely saw the the, the field. And those guys are the guys that you just. Um, you just really, really appreciate it because they're they're not in it for themselves. They just want to be part of the team and yep. be part of something. And and um, you know, I always I always say to the guys, uh, you know, when you guys all get together and you and you're 21 years plus and you're able to buy each other beers, like you're nobody's buying the starters more beer than they're buying the guy that sat down at the end of the bench. You're, you're everybody's getting equal rounds, and and that's just a fact. Like. You know, if you talk to, to most of my teammates when I, from when I was a senior, I would say 99% would never really remember that I was not on, on the same team with them as a freshman. Right. They, just, because I was just, you're just around and you're just part of it. And it's so unimportant. But the important thing is that you, you stuck it out and then you became a very valuable member of, of the team. And you know, I was awarded, um, I got an award at the, at the end of my senior year. Uh, it was a no Filipino award for outstanding sportsmanship and team play. And I'm proud of it. Yeah, that's tremendous. Yeah, it's a cool deal. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's a great story. I appreciate that. That was awesome. Um, so <coughs> after you finished up your college career, maybe take me to where, where, where and how you started your coaching. Um, sure. Uh, I... After college, I played a few years in the club circuit for, well, I moved to Boston for two years, so I played for a couple teams up in Boston, and then I moved back down to New York, and I ended up playing for the town of Oyster Bay um, team, which was which was a lot of fun, a lot of real characters on it. But then in 1996, um, I was working for a bank, Payne Weber, and uh, the, I was, I was a a junior trader on our government uh, bond trading desk, and I was asked to move to transfer. I was given a choice, actually, to, to transfer to either Chicago or to London. And, you know, I thought to myself, well, heck, I can move to Chicago anytime. I'll go to London. And, you know, they asked me, how long do you think you'll be there? I said, oh, yeah, maybe three to five years. So like, yep, that's the right answer. Next thing you know, I'm there for 11 years. So I lived in London from, from yeah. <laughs> From uh, two from 1996 to 2007, both of my kids were born there in 0507, and then we moved back to the U.S. in late 07, in a bit of like July 07, June 07. So when, like that. when you were in London, were you playing, coaching? Were you I, were you uh, engaged at all in the game? No, I was not. I was I was going to make that point. Like I was totally. Other than keeping tabs on, you know, kind of what was going on up at Hobart, or you know, reading the reading the news about national championships or, or or that kind of stuff, I was really not involved in the game at all. Um, yeah, I just didn't I just didn't do it. I was I was focused on my career and I was super busy and you know that it was just I just frankly I just didn't have time and I wanted to do other things. I was just traveling a bunch and, and living life, so it was great. But then I, I moved back. And um, my wife and I went to Telluride for a little bit with the, with the kids, and <clears throat> we kind of spent some time there between um, before moving to Dallas. And 
I was walking in, I'll never forget where I was. I was, I was in a, the Heritage parking lot and I saw a gentleman walking by with wearing a Highland Park lacrosse sweatshirt. So being, you know, being a salesman, I'm not, not afraid to introduce myself. And uh, that's what I did. I sold bonds for 11 years and I just introduced myself and said, hi, my name is TD Briggs and uh, I'll get you in touch with Bob Siebold. And I just basically said, my name's Rich Moses. I'm, I'm looking, looking into, into getting into coaching. Um, and that, that, then that was it. And he introduced me to Bob Siebold, who is uh, one of the grandfathers of Highland Park Lacrosse. Uh, I'm not sure if he was one of the founders, but he certainly laid the foundation for all the success we've got. And, you know, the beautiful thing about the game, as you know, and, and many of the people listening to this know, it, it's a it's a very collegial world. It's a very small world. And um, this was no uh, no exception to that rule. Bob Siebold played at Syracuse, played on, I believe, their first national championship team in 1983. And one of his teammates was one of my, like, second cousins from Long Island, from East, from East Meadow. Um, yeah, so small world, and so Bob and I had that in common right from the get-go. And my first year coaching was a Highland Park. You know, I, I, he didn't know if I could coach. I didn't know if I could coach. Was the fifth, sixth grade C team. So, wow! So you started. Oh you, yeah, you started I, down at the foundation, man. Right? Down at yeah, I started down the foundation, and and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was. Uh, I did. I did that for a year, and. You know, the cool thing about that is there were guys on that team like Chris Walker, who's playing for Georgetown now, um, and Case Carpenter, who uh, was a baseball kid. And there was like, man, he's, you know, who knows what this kid's going to be accomplished. I said, well, I don't know. I'll take him. And he ends up going to being a multiple-time All-State kid for, for HP. He goes to UNC. So... Uh, Tyler Brock was another kid, ended up at VMI, and just some great young men, and I, I absolutely loved it. And the next year, uh, I moved up to the 7th, 8th grade B team. So that uh, first the, year was, it sounds like maybe 2008, is it ish? Yeah, 2008-ish. 08, 09, probably. 08, 09. So you moved up after a year to the 7th and 8th grade team. 7th and 8th grade B team. We only had two teams at the time, and, and Bob Siebold was coaching the A team. And I did that for a few years. And then um, I was uh, – Bob left, and they, I coached the 7-8 A team with uh, another one of the grandfathers of Highland Park Lacrosse, Michael Anise, who now has two young children. So he's uh, he's got he's got – he's busy and, and – knee deep in diapers so he doesn't have time to help us anymore but he's still a very good friend and i was named the youth director and i did that for two or three years and um and then i'm trying i can't remember exactly who resigned that ross thompson tapped me on the shoulder to help me in um 2014-15 to work with the d2 program as the offensive coordinator <clears throat> and that was that was a great year. That was a fantastic year. And again, you know, you just don't know if what you're doing at youth will transfer, translate, or transfer to the high school level. But um, 
it, it did. And we had a successful year. We won the state championship that level that year, um, beating Colleyville. And uh, it, was, it was an exciting year. It sounds like you moved up more or less through the ranks with the same group of boys, give or take. Give or take. Yeah, yeah. Give, give or take. The, that group, um, when I moved up to the high school level, those guys were all playing for Derek on the D1 team. Gotcha. Those, so those guys were juniors. Yeah, those, I think I believe they were all juniors by then or sophomores that, that were playing with, with Derek. I don't, my timeline's not perfect, but uh, it, it's something like that. You're, you're 100% right. I didn't coach those guys at the high school level, but they were still in high school. That makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So 2014 to 2015, you were at the, the D2 on the D2 team. When did, yeah. you, when did you make the jump to the D1 team? So this, this, is, my, this is my third year um, running running the program and, and running the uh, running the D1 team as well. So are you, this is where we start to, this is where I start to f- discover the secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> so for, from a coaching perspective, are you the head coach over, over everything or are you just the D1, the D1 coach or maybe just the high school coach? No, I'm, I'm the head coach over everything. So I'm involved uh, to a certain extent in all of the decisions made from Bantam all the way on through um, my squad. So first through 12th, I'm involved in, in one way, shape, or form, and one to a certain extent or another in, in all of it, which I think is really, really important. Like, and, and, you know, I, I, I'm given the way the game has grown in Texas, you know, for us to sustain the level of success that, that you, you kindly mentioned, I believe very strongly that um, the guy running the program from the top has to be involved from the bottom all the way up. Do you, is your involvement, are you developing curriculum? Are you... Pushing, are you pushing your terminology down all the way down? Right, where, where's the where's the what's the level of involvement? Absolutely, I do that. Absolutely, I do that. So, um, you know, I, I, and we've got culture points at every level. I've got Bantam culture points. You know, and it, it's literally like four lines, five lines, whatever it is. Um, and you guys can all come up with your own culture points and, and what's important to you. Then I've got youth culture points. So instead of four or five lines, now I'm at about eight or nine lines. Right? And it's it's literally like non-negotiables, running through ground balls with two hands, sprinting out end lines on shots, sprinting on and off the field. Those are like non-negotiables for me. And this is this is stuff that you pick up along the way, developing relations with, with different coaches, whether it's you know, Jeff Tembroni at Penn State or, or uh, Nick Myers at Ohio State or, or Petro JHU. You pick these little things up and, and then you make them your own. But, like, these non-negotiables are full-on Nick Myers. You know, that's just some of the stuff he does. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so, yeah, 7th, 8th grade, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, they get about 8 or eight or 9 or 7 or 8 culture points and non-negotiables and points of pride. And then at high school, we've got – you know, our team culture points. And then we've got offensive culture points and points of pride and defensive culture points and, and points of pride. So it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Do the, um, do the culture points, 
do those change season to season or is that's that something true. that's man that's that's what it is and that's the way it's been and that's the way it will be I, I that's pretty much that stuff is pretty much set in stone but you know I've got a sharp chisel and I'll, I'll fix things when I when I need to or, or add or you know do, do something like that so they're pretty they don't change a lot they don't they don't change a lot I'll, I'll tweak them here and there but um, I'm an old English major so I try to wordsmith things better and better as, as I go along um, so that that's that um, do, do you have so you you hit on the boys right and, and and David Cohn and I talked about this a little bit right as a head coach you're responsible for developing you know young men boys young men players but you also have some responsibility for developing coaches right and older right. men right? sure so You've talked about culture points for the boys and for the teams. How do you carry that over into your coaching staff? It's it's similar, you know. I, I'll challenge my guys to set goals. You know, we we had our um, we had our coaches staff meeting, our high school staff meeting a few weeks back, and uh, I'll I'll ask them, and and I don't necessarily need to see them or want to see them unless they want to share them with me. But you know, every year. I'll ask certainly the high school players to set three goals for themselves. Uh, one, one lacrosse goal and it, it can't, one team goal and it can't be a state championship because everybody wants to win a state championship. That's just too easy. So come up with one team goal, come up with a personal goal, and then come up with a, a non lacrosse related goal for, for, um, for yourself. So I'll challenge my, my, the boys to do it and then I'll challenge the coaches to do it as well. And again, the boys, I want to see them. And, um, you know, people tell me you're going to be able to write a book one day, but not, I don't know about that. But, um, uh, I, I asked the coaches to do it as well. And, and, you know, everything's a conversation with me. Uh, I, 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 I challenge those guys a lot. Um, I don't want yes guys, but I do expect, them to set goals for themselves and kind of lead by example to a, to a certain extent. So, you know, they, they know who I am. I, I challenge them to be intentional about everything they do. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm older than most of my staff, except for, except for a couple, uh, as you know, you get a lot of younger guys, like, you know, I've got Dalton Jernigan, and Ryan Brown and, 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 uh, and J.R. Stahl on my staff. And I'm, I'm older than by, Gosh, I think I'm older than all of them by 20 years, just about. So I may not be smarter than you, but I've been around longer than you, so I've seen I've seen a bunch. What, um, as as the as the head coach with, I mean, you know, everything you just you just described is a pretty significant organization, right? Just the sheer volume of of people and players involved, right? Right. right. As as the head coach of a successful program that's that size, how much of your time is X's and O's? You know looking out at boys as they're running skills or, 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 or looking at skill development and how much of it is kind of these cultural things that you're talking about. I mean, meeting, taking time out of your day to, to individually engage with players when you have that many players and that many boys in the program, that could consume a lot of time, right? So how, how do you find that balance and what is that balance? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's a great question. And it, it, it is hard. Um, but when you've got staff that buys in, I can trust them to do, you know, I, I don't need during the spring season to be 
overly involved in that stuff with my with our D2 program, what we call the gold team, or our JV guys, because I know Ross Thompson, I know Zach Colburn, I know Bruce Nolly and Mike Devlin. We're all on the same page, and we've got the, the same expectations of ourselves and the same expectations of our guys. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I'm a big John Gordon fan, so we've all read 21 Ways to the Hard Hat, 21 Ways to Be a Great Teammate. Most of us have read The Positive Dog. Most of us, most of us have read You Went in the Locker Room First. We're, we're all over that stuff. And that, that's, you know, I'll give those guys those books. Then I'll, yeah. I'll ask them, like, let's read them. Um, we talk about that stuff a lot. So I know we're on the same page there as far as culture and, and you know, trying to be positive with the guys. And it's, you know, that, that's, a, that's a challenge. I, I would say the X's and O's. And, you know, to a certain extent, that's kind of the easier stuff. Um, I, I do a lot of it, but I, I, the culture stuff to me is kind of more important. So I read a lot and I, I listen to different podcasts a lot. And, uh, you know, the, the, given the fact that I've got such a good staff and, and, and you know, here's another piece of the secret sauce, you need a good board. You need a board that just respects what you do, understands your mission, understands um, the goals you have. Um, it's super, super important. And uh, I, I've been really lucky. So <clears throat> I would, I, you know, perfect world, it's a third, a third, a third. Gotcha. Breaking that stuff down. Um, during the season, you know, during the spring, maybe it ramps up a little bit more to X's and O's and practice planning and, and that kind of stuff. But you know, I've, I've got practice planning for me is, is not super difficult. We, we save, I've got now four years of practice plans. I just, it's Google Docs. I can just cut and paste and then tweak it if I need to. And you know, that's a conversation every day with my staff. We were all in group me and I'll, I'll say, all right, guys, what, Dalton, what do you want to work on an offense? JR, what do you want to work on a defense? And then, you know, I make the decision. I make the ultimate decision and it's a, you know, Usually, like an hour and a half process during the day to get that done. If we if 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 we can find a time that we're all all together, but it's not. It's it's frankly it's not that difficult, but it's uh, it's, it's just having the just being organized enough to make it easy. If right. that makes sense, right. we're we're pretty organized about it. I'm pretty intentional about it, so I try to make that stuff easier um, than as easy as possible. I should say you. The one thing that's come up repeatedly in some of these discussions is the assistant coaches and, and, and the responsibility for, for hiring and firing and finding new coaches, right? And those assistant coaches, you know, it's, it's pretty clear to me, you know, talking to you and talking to David Cohn and, and some of the other <coughs> folks that, you know, that, that's, man, that secret sauce we're talking about, those assistant coaches, that's a big chunk of it, right? That's a big and, chunk of it for sure. And finding good ones is really tough, but also having the – the authority to do something about it, right? As, as a head coach, sure. You, you see in so many cases, I can think of one recently I just discovered where the boards are hiring and firing assistant coaches directly, right? And they're, they're, they're completely cutting the knees, in my humble opinion, the knees out from under the head coach. In, in your organization, do you have that ability to hire and fire coaches or is that something the board does? Or maybe even the board says, look, here's the minimum requirements, right? And then right. they let you go out and, and, and find the folks. How does that work for you? Yeah. Um, 
there, there's certainly a minimum minimum requirements out there. Uh, you know, we as a staff, we're we're very you know, this is we're fortunate in that success kind of you're successful. People people come knocking on your door, so we right. do get a fair amount of, of resumes and phone calls. Um, you know, I I, I think uh, the our board does not hire people without hire coaches, I should say, without like coming to us like Ross and I and Zach and we make those decisions more specifically Ross and I make those decisions on on who we're going to hire now our first goal we always look within we always want to look within Um, you know unless you you get a get you get a you get a rock star like Dalton that shows up or you get a Ryan Brown you know they may leapfrog because of their experience but beyond that like we want to hire we want to give the our youth coaches the opportunity to come up and and coach at the high school level um <clears throat> you know the unfortunate truth of it i shouldn't say it's, actually it's the fortunate truth about it these guys are all trying to cut their teeth and make their way in the world that are young guys and they're starting families or they've got burgeoning careers or, or yeah. whatever it is but that being said i do want to show them that i care and i do and if they can do it if they can make the time you know, I don't, I don't offer a rhetorical job. Like I, I, I want them to take the job, but I don't want them to do it at the expense of their career, or, or, or family at all. I, you know, and, and I think they know that. And I'm genuine about it, and I tell them, like, you know, ask your wife, <laughs> ask your boss if you, if you got the time to do this. Like, I, you know, because once you're in, you're in. And once you're committed, you're committed, and it is a big time commitment. And you know, it, it, it's scheduling can get dicey with weather and things change on a moment's notice. And then you're traveling and, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it's, it's a, it's a big time commitment. So we, um, you know, I, I, I undersell the job to a certain extent and, and tell them it's going to be really, really hard. It's going to be really hard. And, and yeah, I do expect I've got high standards for myself. So I, I, I kind of expect these guys to, to work hard and, and be committed. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned- but that, that being said, you know, the board's never said no to me. I'm, I'm, I'm someone who wanted to hire. And if, as far as I know, they never said no to uh, Ross either. You know, for the head coaching job, for the job I've got now, they did do a, a fairly broad search, like really broad. There were guys coming in from Maryland, from New York, I think they had a couple of resumes from Florida. They, they had people coming in, you know, obviously from Texas. Um, but, um, you know, I, I was very fortunate and I went into that, that I, I joke, I went into that uh, job interview more prepared for than anybody, any job interview I've ever gone through in my life. I, I just wanted it so bad that it came through. So. You, you mentioned that, that kind of plays in. I wanted to follow up. You had mentioned how important a good board is. And I mean, I think everybody here in Texas who coaches and has to deal with, you know, on the public school side, right, the public school clubs, we all have to deal with boards and we all know the ups and downs and the pitfalls, right? So when you say it's important to have a good board and and there's a good board in Highland Park, uh, how did you get so lucky, right? (laughs) I mean, is, is there something you're doing to help foster and promote that board? Is there something just culturally that's going on? Where, where does that good board come from? Culturally, for sure, Highland Park is a, is a very competitive um, uh, community. So they, they want to succeed. And I, you know, I, I love that about it. Uh, some people may think, 
Um, man, it must be tough to coach at Highland Park. They, they, their, their standards are so high. I'm like, well, why would I want to coach anywhere else? I, I hold myself to a high standard. Why? I don't want to go to some community where the standards aren't that high and just getting by is okay at Highland Park. Just getting by is not okay. Um, just getting by in life's not okay. So why, why would I teach that in sports? So the board, um, you know, they're, they're driven to succeed, and you know, we've been very fortunate. You know, I've had guys like Kyle Green, uh, Jason Petty, Greg Galbraith, uh, Rick Canise, and now currently Bo Bonds as as our the presidents of our board, and you know, they all want to succeed, and they all want Highland Park to be special. And, and different, and I, it's it's fantastic. Now, um, you know, the fact of the matter, and, and maybe this is, and I, I don't know this for sure, but you know, as as a head coach, I'm a, I'm a just who I am. I'm kind of an, an A type personality. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an A plus, but I'm certainly an A, a type personality and and, and a, a go getter, so to speak. That being said. I think the coaches, the head coaches, need to understand that they work for the board. I, I, they pay me, right? And the parents pay me by definition. They pay me. Um, now, you know, Highland Park, we're, we're not certainly not the highest paid coaching staff in, in the state by by any stretch. <clears throat> we do get paid, but we're not highly paid. Um, but that being said. And, and I've talked to coaches about this, like when someone complains that, that a parent is complaining, I said, buddy, you work for that mom or dad. You know, you, you have to answer that question. You have to take that phone call. You've got to respond to that email. They've got a concern and you've got to do the best to the best of your ability. You've got to respond to those concerns and answer those concerns because they're your customer, and you know the old retail thing. The client always knows best. Well, maybe it's not one hundred percent sure. You know, certain when you've got a, a whatever a CPA trying to tell you that you shouldn't run a motion offense. But you know that's 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 kind of where you draw the line. But if they've got a concern about their child, right? Other than X's and O's and playing time, and, and even playing time, you, you can have a conversation. But uh, honestly, I, I think the parents and the board deserve that respect um you know and, and one of the things i talk a lot about is the golden rule and, and treating people the way you expect to be true yourself like if i'm a parent and i'm calling a coach with a valid discussion point i yeah i i, I want that coach to speak to me about it and, and answer my questions and you know just be respectful enough to, to pay attention and not uh i don't know where Right. You never, you never know. And right. kids these days, they get so much going on and um, their lives are so busy. Like, who knows? Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, right? I'm an older guy. I think I'm about to hit 49 here in a couple of weeks. Um, and I, 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 try to, I try to tell, <laughs> I try to tell parents and boys, right, that, you know, my, my kids in college, Right. I've, 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 I've lived a full life as it relates to families and raising kids. And there's, there's some perspective that comes with that. Sure. Right. And that's important. Right. I'm, I'm not the 20, 23 year old kid who lives in Midtown 
right? Trying to manage right. a new career and a girlfriend. Right. You know, I, I've got a different, a little bit different perspective as it comes to right. handling not only boys, but, but parents, right? Right. And not to say I'm perfect. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I know I'm not perfect. But, you know, I've, I've got a little more, I think I've got a few more tools, right, than, than most right. folks. And I suspect you, you feel the same, right? It. Yeah. Built up a, a arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, when you were talking, I, I was struck. I, I, we haven't. I haven't asked this question. Is are you still? Do you still have a, a second career, or is this your full time gig? This is this is my full time gig now. Um, I, you know, I was just very very fortunate, and and I did what I did in the bond world, and uh, I married a, a extremely smart gal, my wife Selwyn. Um, so we were, you know, we were double double income, no kids for a long long time, and um, you know, our careers we were just. It was the right time, the right jobs, all that, all that stuff. So you know, now I just I, I kind of invest on my own, and, and my wife works for her family company, and uh, and we, we keep busy doing doing our own thing on the investment side, sort of quasi family office type stuff. Yeah, I think the, the full time coaching gig, right? That seems to be a, a consistent strain as I talk to folks, right? The the successful coaches and the better teams seem to have that that dedicated coaching resource, right? It, sure, it just, it just naturally works yeah, out better. It's, yeah, if if you know, you know, the secret sauce that you're looking for is just work. Yeah, yeah, right? you're, you're, man, you nailed it, right? It's passion it's and work, work, right? Yeah, um, and that and that starts, you know, at the bantam level. It, it you know, from my standpoint, what's the work I'm doing with our bantam guys? Um, they've got the same vocabulary list that my high school guys have. They've got the Bantam culture points that will build up to the high school culture points. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sending them, I'm retweeting tidbits that I think are, are important to the Bantam coach dad group me list, whether it's a, a John Gordon thing or it's a, you know, something about Clay Thompson and scoring 63 points in two point whatever it is seconds and dribbling the ball twice and how that relates to how we want to play lacrosse. Right. Play hard, play fast, play together. Like, so I want them, the Bantam dads, to have a little taste of what I'm doing. Now, how do we grow our, you know, I think – one of the things that, that has come up a few times recently, given given conversations around the THSLL and <clears throat> other other things, is um, you know the, the program size, like the registration numbers. Like, how do you keep your registration numbers up? Well, I think there's a bit of a misconception out there that Highland Park numbers are just exceptional all the time. Um, you know what all what I will say is we've never gotten comfortable or complacent about it we are constantly looking at how do we get more kids to, to play and how do we retain those those players um so i've done some different things you know at, at the high school level i'll start with the top now like the high school level like football kids work hard so in the past we would get our football players out in the fall i, I don't have our football players out in the fall I don't have our basketball players out. Um, be, if you, you're going to be a multi-sport athlete, be a multi-sport right. athlete, which I love. I love multi-sport athletes um, for, for all the reasons that are well-documented. I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I believe science. So I think it's all pretty good stuff. Um, so I think that takes a little burden off those kids. So they 
but that trickles down. So there are the freshmen that are coming in now understand they don't feel like they've got to play lacrosse and football in the fall. So we have less kids quitting. Now you don't have to make a decision. Right. Uh, I put our football players through a different protocol when we do start our sort of January training. If you know if they make a deep any it doesn't matter if they make a deep run in the playoffs or not. I put them through sort of a rehab protocol for two weeks rather than, you know, getting out there and, and banging heads again. So there is no contact for my football players until the second week of January. And again, I don't want kids burning out. I don't want, I, I, I'm, I'm really hypersensitive to um, overuse injuries and, and all that stuff. And I want those kids to get two months rest. So if they finish in, in November or mid-November, I, mean, I want them to take December and, and January off, you know, and do some mild lifting, or but no contact. Um, and again, that's geared towards retention. Right. Now, that the other opposite end of the barbell is, is bantam. Like, how do we get our bantam numbers up? Well, again, it's just it's just hard work. It's getting some good board members. So, we, you know, my board makeup is a high school representative, youth representative, Phantom representative. Then we've got we've got a treasurer. We've got a you know, we've got a uh, we've just instituted a community service liaison, which I think is important. Um, and that was something that I, I worked hard at. I mean, actually, I shouldn't say worked hard, but I was consistent in, in asking for that. I think it's important uh, that we look good in the community. And I'll get to that in a second. But you know, we've got Phantom dads that are going to. I can't remember what day of the week it was, but it was. It was an event like Donuts with Dads or something like that where they're going and handing out flyers to all the dads. They're coming through and saying, Phantom, Phantom Fall Training starts next Sunday at 2 p.m. at MoneyGram Field. So they're literally handing out thousands of flyers. That's awesome. That's that's just what it is. It's, it's literally like legwork. And it's, yeah, yeah. That's heavy lifting, right? It's the heavy lifting, but it's not – it's not complicated. It's just finding the, the right people to do it or the people that are willing to do it. And that started, you know, 20 odd years ago with Bob Siebold. And now I've got, you know, Chris Van Dorn out there d- doing it. Cause his, his son is a third or fourth grader. So he's trying to recruit, recruit kids at the Bantam level. So, you know, so, you know, his, his boy has a bunch of good t- kids to play with and I love it. It's awesome. I love it. So yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? Those guys are doing the work. So what that means for me is I've got to give some payback. So I show up at Bantam practices. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I help run the Bantam summer clinic and I'm around and I, I give the guys a pep talk and like, I mean, I'm engaged with the Bantam dads and yeah, it's, yeah, they have a happy hour. I'm showing up. Yeah, that's good stuff. Hey, when you, I, I know we you were looking to, not go two no. hours so we'll try to try to wrap up um no, 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 no. this is great you had mentioned one thing that struck me with an organization as big as yours i expected to hear you know 30 board members right the the intermediate school you know director of left-handed equipment right so often <laughs> yeah. you hear yeah. these huge boards and that's where honestly that's where part of the problem starts with some right. of these organizations right. i think i heard you rattle off like five or six people I, yeah, our, our board, our, uh, our bylaws, I believe, only allow for 12. Okay. So I think we've got right. 10 right now. Gotcha. And I'm not a board member. I'm, I don't get a vote. 
uh, do I do I have an opinion and do people listen to me and they well they well, can I can I sway people uh, yeah absolutely mostly you know when in relation to um, how many coaches we need you know practice times that kind of stuff but yeah I, I, you know what's I think what's what's helped me and and you know, kind of you you mentioned it earlier. Like uh, I've got pers- I've got perspective because I've been in I've been in a high charged Wall right. Street environment. You know, I, I I know what how to raise funds. I know how to run a booster club. I know how to do all that stuff. And that that's something we did as well a couple of years ago. We started a booster club um, called the Champions Club, and uh, it's it's aligned with our with our, uh, our motto and developing champions on and off the field. And, um, it's been great. It's really, really been good. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you just got to try to find the people who have the capacity to give a little bit more and want to be involved more. So, you know, again, this gets back to time and, and doing the work. So if you give it a certain level and I love this, actually, this is, this, these, this is what I'm about to talk about is one of my favorite things that I do as far as, fundraising and getting to know people we do coffee with coach a couple times a quarter and if you give whatever the number is x you've got the opportunity to have a sit down at angela's cafe on inwood road at 8 a.m and have coffee with coach (laughs) it's really cool so i I usually get there early have a little breakfast and uh and usually get about eight or nine people show up it's 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 awesome yeah that's really cool right it's, it's great. Now, do I get one of the board members to go with me? Absolutely, because people will ask questions that are board-level questions right. about finances and things like that. So you have to be, again, you have to be intentional about it. So I always have either um, my board president or my high school rep uh, with me um, to answer some of those questions that, as I said, are, are, are board-level um, but it's great, you know. People ask me, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, I'll, I'll bring, I'll bring a whiteboard, and we'll go through, go through offense, we'll go through defense. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, what I, why I think the positivity is, is contagious. I'll, I'll talk about the kids and how I try to motivate them, and, and, you know, I'll talk about how, you know, I'm on the same team with them as far as helping raise those kids. And, you know, having them deal with adversity and having them take responsibility for themselves. I, you know, and I don't let, frankly, even seventh, eighth grade, we, we generally will not take player related questions from the parents as far as like, coach, what's time, what time is practice? We don't want that. We tell the parents either look at the website or have your son text me. Right. 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 And, and it's been great. And some parents, they get it. Most, I shouldn't say that. 90% of the parents totally get it and they're like, love it. Teaching my kid responsibility. This is a privilege. He's got he's to know how he's going to get to practice and all that stuff on his own. Um, some are like, well, yeah, they just can't, can't let go. That's okay. I get it. You, um, it's always interesting, as, I, as I've talked to everybody, whether public or private, to understand their relationship with the school, the resources the schools provide, right? The access to facilities you have, 
right. maybe maybe talk a little bit about that and what your role is as the coach in that as well. Sure. So so I, I've I've started to develop a, a good relationship with uh, the Highland Park athletic director Johnny Ringo, uh, and and you know we sit down probably twice a year or so. I sat down with him and, and one of my board members about three weeks ago, or four weeks ago now, and had a great conversation. Um, we we have access to Highland Park facilities, um, really. But what all that really means is we've got access to Highlander Stadium. Uh, we pay for it. We've got to rent it, um, and, that, and that's fine. I know most of the programs out there do rent it. What's interesting about Highland Park is we don't have a lot of field space. We are about as landlocked as it gets. So we practice out at MoneyGram Fields, and you know, we, we pay for those fields, and we, we develop them, and we rent them. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's important to have a relationship with the school, and we're trying to do more of that. Um, yeah, I think my relationship with, with Coach Ringo is, is pretty good. Uh, you know, we, we talk about anything from strength and conditioning to motivation to crowd control. Uh, we talk about our, our kids. You know, we're very fortunate. We've had a bunch of kids signing uh, signing letters of intent, which is you know, it's like that's like Christmas to me. That's like my favorite day of the year. I absolutely love it. So I'm involved in that, um, and, and they kindly offer us. Some time on the on the podium with their with their other athletes, and it's it's great. Um, would I, I'd like to get deeper into into the high school uh, again? I, you know, I, I mentioned the community service bit earlier. Um, one of the things I, I feel very strongly about, and and we're getting there. You, you can't do everything in year one. One of the things we're, we're trying to do is we've got this massive machine, right? So that we can put to work. So why are we not serving breakfast at Ronald McDonald House? Why are we not doing a 5K run um, en masse? I, we've done things, you know, via, via um, the Patriot Cup, which I'm involved in, or, or via Headstrong, where I get some good volunteer work. But it's, it's you know, last year we did the Headstrong Mustang Madness. And I'm going to challenge all the coaches out there to form a team and get involved in lacrosse mustache madness, the benefits of Headstrong Foundation. Um, it's an amazing foundation and it raises money for the quality of life for, to, for, to help with quality of life for cancer patients and their family. And it's fun. And we did it last year as Highland Park and we won it nationally. It was really cool. We raised $20,000 or $30,000. It was fantastic. So I'm actually going to, I'm going to draft an email and send it out to all the programs out there and challenge you guys to, to beat us. So beat. explain Mustache Madness if folks don't know what it is. Sure. So Headstrong Mustache Madness was was um, was founded by Ken Clausen, um, uh, UVA grad and uh, great great uh, friend to the Headstrong Foundation. The so Nick Kalalori, the founder of of Headstrong, who unfortunately um, uh, died of, of from blood cancer. He, when he was going through the process of chemo and, and all the other treatments he had to go through, he was losing his hair everywhere, except the only thing he could do for whatever reason was grow a mustache. So he, he could get out and it, it gave him, you know, big thing we talk about at the Headstrong Foundation is giving people a sense of normalcy. That was the one thing that gave him a sense of normalcy. <clears throat> so it, it 
you know, pardon the pun, it grew from there. And it's in year like 10 or so or eight or so. And they've raised millions of dollars for, for this, for this, for the cause. Um, so all you do, it's, it's already started. You start a page. Um, you can go to headstrong.org and, and follow the links. And you, you start a team page. And then, you know, again, like everything else, there's, then, then the heavy lifting starts. You just need to start asking people and explaining the mission and, and the donations. You know, sometimes you just have to ask and then the donations will start coming in. So we, um, I've been doing it for about five years now. <laughs> uh, it's been a lot of fun. I work hard at it. And last year was the first year where I got our team, Highland Park Lacrosse, to do it. And we won. We won. It was great. Yeah, we beat everybody. We beat Syracuse. We beat Cornell. We beat. It was awesome. You, you so, left out the. There's a key ingredient. There is is appealing to your wife that it, 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 you'll shave it off when it's over. Well, there, there is that. I will say the first, the first year. I, yeah. And, and by the way, yeah, you've got to try to grow a mustache too. That's that's part of it. It's it's sort of like uh, it, it, it's like the. Movember movement, but it's it's uh, it's attached to Headstrong Foundation. The first year I did it, <clears throat> I started growing my mustache, and, and someone asked my wife about that. What do you think? They said, so someone, what do you think?" She's like, "I kind of like it. it; makes them look like someone else." I, said, I, I, I didn't know how to take it. I, I rolled with I rolled with it. She said, "I liked it. It was good." It was oh, that's awesome! <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, hey, we've been going at it for. Man, it's been, I bet you an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. Um, you know, it's interesting when, when you're talking, um, there's three words that I've kind of identified that I hear over and over from the successful coaches. Intentional, deliberate, and privilege. Right. I hear those three words a lot. Right. Um, and as, you know, you use the word intentional repeatedly and you use the word privilege several times, right? And uh, I like to use the word deliberate a lot when I'm talking to yeah. my boys. Um, sure. You know, and, and and Coach Cohn, same thing, right? He he was he was hitting on those words, and, right. it, and it's interesting. Um, it, it's interesting to see, you know, coaches like you and Coach Cohn, right? Who are so man, I hate to use one of the words, but so deliberate about the cultural aspects, keep right. hitting on those key points, right? There's something right. to that. Yeah, there is. Yeah, absolutely. It's. Um... It's hard at times to, to keep the culture going. Um, I've been I've been fortunate. I've had uh, relative stability in my coaching staff uh, over the last three years. Um, so you know, I haven't had to bring anybody up to speed. Uh, you know, again, though, the one the one good thing is you, you have some success. So get, maybe you get buy-in a little bit quicker. <clears throat> people have, people see what you're doing and you know it's energy is contagious right and I talk, I talked to the guys about this the coaches and the team about it energy is contagious like you walk into a party with your buddy and he's in a bad mood what's what's gonna happen you're gonna end up in a bad mood and the yeah. night's not gonna go the way you want it to go um, well you're in a bad mood and your friend's in a good mood, you walk into that same party, all of a sudden it flips and all of a sudden you've had a great night. Uh, and the same thing goes for on the sideline. So we work hard at it. We work re you know, really hard at it. I, and it's one of those things I need to work harder at, constantly be working at it, you know, 
intentionally be working at it and have it in the back of my mind. Um, so yeah, it's 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 one of my favorite words. Intention being intentional, I, I think it's I think it's great. When when you yeah. when you landed at at Highland Park initially, and you were coaching that fifth and sixth grade C yeah. team, <laughs> that blows my mind. <laughs> when you were coaching that team, all these cultural aspects did they already exist in some form or another? No. Um, this has been kind of my mission since, since, since taking, taking the reins, uh, the, you know, the landscape has gotten, uh, gotten tougher. Um, there are more and more programs popping up there, you know, Teams winning state championships that that hadn't won state championship, you know, or on the verge of winning state championship. You know, Woodlands a couple of years ago. Well, you know, Westlake's up and coming. Obviously, had a fantastic season last year. Kicked our butts early in the season, and <clears throat> we were fortunate enough to to take them in the semis. But it's just getting tougher and tougher. So, um, I think it's important to to have that terminology starting earlier the culture starting starting earlier and, and as far as you know far down as first grade so that you have literally a, in every sense of the word like it's a program now like you, you look at so what i do i look at man how why is highland park and i look at it for, from a couple of different angles like why is highland park football so successful why do they have so many players why are they are they always making it to the playoffs? Why the parents? You know that that's one angle, like the X's and O's of it all, and the culture of it. Like, but then the other angle, like, why are the parents so enamored by it? What's going on there? Um, so I strive for consistency, and then I want to align them. So the easiest thing for me to do was, I, you know, what what do you guys? What do you do at football? Oh, well, we start handing them basically page one of the playbook as soon as they step on a Highland Park football field, right? So they know what they're getting, and they keep building up over years and years and years until, you know, when they're on the offensive side of the ball, you've got over 100 plays you can run in wow. football. So for me, okay, what's the equivalent of that? Like, I'm not going to run 100 plays, but I'm going to have 20-odd culture points or points of pride or, or things that we want to do, and my vocabulary is going to be – you know, hundred odd items. Whether it's you know when you when you slip a pick, or you know when you when you V cut, or when you seal your man, or when you clear through, whatever it is. So I start. I'm starting that process at first grade now. Wow. And yeah. It, it, I just think uh, you know, I, I, the football parents and the basketball parents understand that process, right? And they're comfortable with it. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's the right thing to do. And then by the time the kids get to high school, you know, and it's, and it's you know, I'm seeing it this year already, my third year, guys, like, guys get it. And the energy in year three in our in our fall is the best it's been. And that, that, those are not my words. That's one of the trainers at D1 Sports where we do our, our, our conditioning. Those are his words. Um, a young man named David Bernal, you look at he said it to the boys, like, this is the best I've seen it. So I've got young guys who are positive as hell and are cheering each other on. They're loud and it's great. Uh, it's just, it's just great. Um, so 
touch wood, I'm around long enough to see the fruits of my labor and, and I've got some of these fifth, sixth graders that are coming up through the system you know, when they're juniors and seniors. And that, see, that's going to be, that's going to be fantastic, right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. That's, that's the plan, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah. The plan. I, you know, then you can do some, you know, if kids understand, you know, when they should, you know, I'm not going to give my terms away, but when they should slip a pick or when they should stick a pick, you know, then I don't have to, you know, then I could do some different things. Right, right. They, they know when they know when to hedge or when they when they should when they should you know be flying up the field or down or whatever it is or when they know to get it through X. Like then we could do some really more interesting things or even you know watch a free flowing offense like a Penn State where you say, all right, you're playing a two man there and a three man there, go. What's well, I was about to say that the, all the all the language you were just using was you had empowered the players, right, to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. We, I try to talk with my boys a lot about feedback loops, right? And if there's, there's, there's a, a legitimate feedback loop that is from the coach to the field, but guess what? That's the longest feedback loop there is on the field. Right. So if right. you're waiting for me to make a decision, you know, digest what's going on, make a decision, and give you a command, we're already beat, right? Yeah. So yeah. You know, I've got to empower you with an understanding of what we're trying to achieve and right. a, a common vocabulary so you can make those decisions on the field and cut out that feedback loop, make it very right. short, right? Right, that's exactly right. Now, you, now you're smarter than me, so you can say things like feedback feedback loops, and, you, and your kids kids will think you're being asking you. If I if I said feedback loop, they'd look at me like, "What are you talking about?" The, one of the, one of, those are they would know those aren't my words. But what I will say to them, and, and talk about intentionality, I'll, I'll make my point, then I'll make another point. Um, uh, what I will tell them is, guys, I've got four timeouts. I can't call 14 timeouts and tell you guys what to do. You've got to make it happen on the Absolutely. field. Absolutely, It's a volatile you, game, right? I think that's I, it. You've got to make those decisions on your own. Yeah, I've, got, yeah. I've got, I can breaks between quarters, halftime, and then four timeouts and that's it. So the more you guys can communicate on the field, um, uh, the, the, the better it's going to be. And I'm starting to really see the fruits of that with these younger guys this year. And my, and my, my class, I don't, you know, my seniors, now have been around for just their third year and then the younger guys. So it's great. But you know, you talk about being deliberate and, and you know, you, I'm sure you do it as well. You talk about details. Like this is something I picked up from Frank Frediaka at, uh, at Bucknell an old Hobart lacrosse teammate of mine. And the kids, the first time I did it, they were like, man, you're crazy. I don't know what you're, what you're doing, but we'll practice timeouts. So we practice, we literally practice timeouts. So, you know, the guys will, I'll bring them in. And instead of saying, okay, go, go get water, I'll just, at the end of a drill or even in the middle of a drill, um, I'll just yell time out. And yeah, there, and there's some, there's some rules around that. Yeah. Like yeah. What they're supposed to do. And I think like to me and, and you guys, I hope all you guys do this because I think it's pretty darn cool. Like I don't care if the other team's on a three Oh run and I've got to call time out to regroup or I don't care if we're in a three-zero run, and and the other, those and those guys, the other team calls a timeout so they can regroup. I want your reaction to a timeout call to be exactly the same. I want you guys yelling and screaming like you just won the Super Bowl, hooting and hollering and just going nuts. And you think about it, there's a couple of things that can happen. You know, if it's the other way and you're you're, you're on the, the the other the wrong end of a run and you call timeout and your guys are hooting and hollering, like, what is going on? 
the other guys, the other teams looking at your coach like, what is going on over there? We're killing them. And these guys are excited. Like that's got them thinking about something they shouldn't be thinking about. Right. And for my guys, it's a reset. I like that reset. I like that. It's just a quick reset. And sometimes I'll call that time out and I won't even say a word. Like, all right, boys, let's go back on the field now. Go. And uh, And they'll just, they'll be able to play at a different level. We've, we've told uh I, i've used more than one time out to tell a joke <laughs> yeah just to take some of the edge off right <laughs> I, it's it's really funny you say that i we started doing that and it, it got to be really high press it was so much pressure on me i didn't know what to do towards the end of the season but we always you know there was they'd always ask me to tell a story between the third and fourth quarter <laughs> and it got to be like, so coach, how was your day? <laughs> I went to some weird story about how I was at a Starbucks and I asked for something and they gave me, instead of giving me three, they gave me four because the fourth quarter was our quarter. It was always just, but it was, like you said, it was like a reset. It was just like, yeah, let's go play. You, I, I made a note. We were laughing about the term feedback loops. I wanted to tell you a funny story. Uh, last year, our, our freshman group came in, came in, and it was the very first varsity practice. Um, and I, th- I think we brought together the, the JV team because everybody was out there at that point, just to kind of show them, you know, what the end of practice looks like at the varsity level, right? right? And I started talking about feedback loops, right, and reminding people. And I looked to this poor freshman standing next to me, and he was just so confused. He, the look on his face was like. I thought this was lacrosse practice, not geometry, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I said, my, my guys know I'm not that smart, so I can't, I can't throw that out. Someone might actually call me on a feedback, like, Coach, what is a feedback loop? And uh, I'll just, uh, I don't, yeah. As Dalton always says to me, he's like, you want to put yourself in a situation where you're going to succeed, and that, that would not be a joke <laughs> where, I would fail, where I would fail, right? KYC, know your capabilities. Know your capabilities. I like it. Hey, well, I tell you what, I I got more out of this than I ever dreamed I would. Um, That was awesome. I I love it. As we said earlier, there's nothing, and I'm going to use one of these words again, there's nothing more fun than sitting down and deliberately talking with some smart person about a single topic for an extended period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had a blast. I'm 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 so, so grateful that you came that, that you agreed to this, man. This this was a this was a treat. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you too. That was that was awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for making the time for me.